0: What's up, folks? On today's podcast, we are going to be replaying the quarterly market update that I do every three months to keep people updated from a high level, what is going on in the markets out there and action items. Now, if you're new to the show, I've been investing since 2009. I started with out-of-state turnkeys in 2012 later amassing a property portfolio of 11 of those things in 2015, and then getting into syndications and private placements thereafter. And yeah, I've been witness part of this 12-year, 13-year pretty good bull run. And as we've seen from 2021 to 2023, we've seen the market bottom out. And it's clear markets go up and down, ebb and flow in corrections, ITR Economics says that the housing and financial sector has hit the bottom. They are leading the economy. We don't know what's going to happen with the stock market. Maybe there's a soft landing, but likely there's going to be some type of fallout go, going through there. But I have most of my net worth in real estate. And one of the key things that I've discovered you know, going through this market cycle is the importance of diversification. Today, as a GP... Involved in over two billion dollars of deals, um, sixty-five plus projects. You know, I've tried to spread my investments across different sectors, different geographic areas, and more importantly, time horizon. I tell investors you want to, your investments spanning four to seven years, um, so you can navigate these timings with the markets. Normally, a normal market cycle is anywhere from six to nine years. We don't know if that's going to be changing in the future. And I'll talk a little bit more on that in detail in the quarterly update. Every month, I get my board of directors around. I'm in a group, another business, Mastermind Vistage. And one of the takeaways, there's obviously been a clearing within the real estate world. A lot of people like us, I, I think will we will definitely be on the other side of this. You know, still, most of the projects will sustain through this. And there's been a couple of pivot points even up to this point. When we first got started, we would work with a lot of newer operators, guys under $1 billion of assets under ownership. And as I've mentioned many times throughout this podcast, some of these guys were dishonest. Some guys were just fake it to make it, guys. And some people just didn't pan out. Obviously, we tried to work with people who are trustworthy, do what they say that they're going to do. And I think in the future, what I'm trying to do is take that next step, right? Like we've come a long way. A lot of you guys have been with me a long way here. We tallied up the stats lately and it amazes me even today with over 900 investors who've actually invested with us in the past. And we've distributed amazingly $45 million back to you, guys, which I think is amazing. But yeah, we don't want to fall in love with the status quo. And and the way I see it, we need to get access to that next echelon of operators and deal flow. Take that next step. And when we all pull our money together, we get access to better deals and better splits, which is I think what you're seeing play out in the income fund. And certainly decrease that counterparty risk to almost zero. And you know, what I realized and are taken from my board of directors is you know, this example of Blockbuster, the company that rented out videos back in the day. They fell in love with the status quo, which were their late fees, right? That's how they made a lot of their money from those dang late fees. And this really inhibited them from going into the digital world. They actually had the opportunity to buy Netflix at one point, but they wanted those late fees so much. Obviously, we all know how that story ended up. And they were not able nor willing to reinvent themselves. And this is the way I see myself and our company, you guys out there with us as we take that next step together, especially going through the market cycle together. And it's actually coming at a good time. GDP numbers are looking good. The fourth quarter was a big outperformance in everybody's thought through a 3.3 increase. You know, normally anything higher than a 2 to 3% is good alongside a 42 increase in new home sales and a 22.7% surge in single-family home housing permits. Inflation is obviously still a big concern, and I think it's going to be coming back, which is exactly why you want to get back into the game and get into assets that ride that wave of appreciation as we saw in 2020 to 2022. Blackstone, the world's largest commercial property owner, said, And I'll put this article in the newsletter for you guys who get the emails every Tuesday. Values are reaching a bottom as inflation has slowed and the Federal Reserve is expected to cut rates. Um, I'll also put another report suggesting that you're seeing a recession and recovery this next year. But I think the important thing is the housing and banking sector is leading the other industries and already into the deepest part of the recession and already coming back up. So some exciting things to come ahead. If you haven't yet, please book that onboarding call with myself so we can get to know each other, build that relationship, and then welcome to the Wealth Elevator World. Enjoy this week's podcast with the quarterly market update. So on today's webinar, we're going to be going over the 2023 quarter four recap. So for those of you guys who are not familiar with us, What I do every single quarter is I go over it from a high level. What's been happening in the market? Obviously interest rates have been wrecking havoc within commercial real estate and really get beneath the surface on what are the opportunities that's happening ahead. But we're going to start off here with a little bit of review. What's transpired prior to 2023. And if you recall, we had that pandemic and the government pretty much printed a whole bunch of money way, way more than that was printed even during the 2008, 2009 crisis with all those bailouts, we don't know why it happened, but it happened. So this created a huge amount of inflation and the Fed sought out there in 20- 20 in the summertime to start this interest rate hike, which was the fastest ever anybody has ever seen and the 40 year high to combat the inflation, which obviously we know it that it worked at this point. The thing is with these interest rates is impacts different parts of the economy differently. And the general economy doesn't really see the impacts of that right away. I would probably argue is that we haven't really seen that kind of happen yet. Just take the stock market, for example, there. And we're going to be going over some slides with some of the the market cycles of different asset classes. We've seen commercial real estate has gone through that trough first, and I would say leading a lot of other asset classes, including stocks and bonds, and a lot of the stuff that's 401ks are made out. Here's what the big lever that was pulled. The interest rates got hiked up. Again, quickest time in history, 40-year highs. And you can see some this 2022-23 barrage of hawkish interest rates hikes is shown here in yellow. And you can see all the other last interest rate hikes in these other lines. And you can see the magnitude, just how it compares. And what did that do? So at this point, we're buyers in the market too, right? We've bought a lot of real estate. And summer of 2022, we stopped doing these major purchases. Why? Because I couldn't make the deals work because the interest rates went up. But more importantly, the amount of leverage that I could get at one time, we could get 70% leverage that has gone down to 15%. So this has created a situation where the buyers have left the market, and adultly us too, and has created a temporary situation where the cap rates have increasing. Again, these are what are called as prevailing cap rates that are in the market that is dictated by the buyer and seller dynamic. And just a little bit of review, what dictates the market price of commercial real estate assets? That's very different than the residential world. Now, in the residential world, what you're seeing, there are still amount of buyers, but because there aren't very many sellers in the market, you still have the prices high. And in the residential world, the prices are based off of comparable sales. What prices of similar make, model are selling in the nearby area? But in commercial real estate, the prices are more dictated by two big things, which is the net operative income basically, what is the property making before debt service and divide that by the prevailing cap rate. So here on the right side, you have the before what you've seen prior to 2021, where you had a property that was creating, for example, $4 million of net operating income. And at that time, these assets were trading at the prevailing cap rate of 4% or 0.04. I would really urge you to play around with these quick numbers on a calculator and you can get a sense and play around with the numbers yourself. But $4 million divided by 0.04 creates a market price of $100 million. Now, fast forward to late 2023, what we've seen is same property, $4 million net operating income. And now the cap rates have gone up to say 0.6. And this has created a severe amount of discount in the market that you're seeing today. Now, some people will say, what about value-add, right? Aren't you buying properties and fixing them up? A lot of these types of value-add properties, if you, even if you were able to get 100% through the timeline of the business plan, renovating all the units or doing the big value-add projects that you sought out to do, and you're assuming that, all right, we increased the net operating income for $4 million to $4.8 million, which is 20%, which is typically the fullest extent of most value-add strategies in the commercial real estate world at a 0.6% prevailing cap rate, you're still looking at $80 million marketplace value based on the, the before. So this can be a very sobering experience as our gentleman here, he's not smiling. And if you jumped into properties prior to 2021, maybe 2022, you're not too happy right now. But obviously this creates a great buying opportunity for people to to enter the the market now once these assets have taken this dip, same assets, But just buying it at a different prevailing cap rate is a big thing. Here's another way of looking at it. This is a more of a detailed look at this. The big difference here is before 2021, you're able to get 70% loan-to-value loans as part of your deal. Now, today, unfortunately, due to the higher interest rates and the tighter capital markets, you're seeing that go down to 50% loan value. Again, this is one of the biggest reasons we as buyers haven't really been buying over the last year. But what you're seeing is this double whammy effect. Now the properties are worth less because of the prevailing cap rates. And if you need to refinance, which a lot of these deals are coming due right now, you're not able to get the 70% value, you're you're only able to get 50%. value. So This is that double whammy effect where now you're going to have to come in with what's called a cash and refinance. Now, if you have debt renewing probably past 2025, 26, you should be fine, right? We should see the correction play its out. But this is the the kind of the danger and double-edged sword of using shorter bridge loans, which I would say the majority of value-add operators were doing over the last several years. Now, let's go a little bit more granular. What are some of the headwinds, the new headwinds impacting commercial real estate operation? Now, this one kind of poked its head over the last several quarters. And this rampant fraud in terms of tenants putting in fake profiles to being accepted as tenants. And if anybody's been a landlord or worked with property manager, you know that there's a pretty standard process where you're trying to figure out, is this a good tenant? Obviously, we'll check for things like criminal background and payments and do the checks on the past landlords. And then obviously, pay stubs is a big one. As a One general rule of thumb is you don't want people that have an income where the rents that they're going to be paying per month is more than a third. That just doesn't work, right? It's just they're buying too much house or paying too much rent based on what they can afford. But what you're seeing here is this is a lot of this is driven by... Social media platforms like TikTok and Instagram, where there a lot of the findings through the survey done by uh, a lot of multifamily um, operators is 70% of the rental housing providers reported an increase in fraudulent applications. The fraudsters or the individual tenants are using fake documentation, financial statements, and identities. And sometimes an average of 23.8 of the eviction filings over the past three years were linked to these fraudulent applications. So it's tough enough when you have evictions, right? You always assume that you're going to have them and they're going to be rough on the turnaround and extra fix-up costs. And a lot of these, you just can't collect from these kind of lower end tenants. But it's tough when you're seeing a big spike in this due to just bad people being put in there in the first place. You always have bad debt written off. It's hard to collect. And they're saying like about a quarter of that industry-wide is it contributed to these non-payment of rent due by these fraudulent application people. You can read a little bit more of the details here. But yeah, this is obviously contributing to the rise in rental costs as a lot of this gets passed down to, unfortunately, the good tenants out there. And this is something that's always been big on me is, yeah, you're tough on these types of bad actors, but what you're trying to do is improve the community for the, the majority of people. I forget what the philosophy is, what is the best for the majority of the people, whatever that idea comes down to. But yeah, by kicking out these deadbeats, you improve the community. And most times those good tenants don't want these types of people in their community anyway. So it's it's something that the majority of people want. But you add this to the other headwinds that are currently in the market, which is obviously increased expenses due to inflation. Funny thing about inflation, the numbers go down, but it always seems like the prices that you pay, they we'll go all agree, don't really go down with inflation. And then insurance has been, I think a lot of this has made the mainstream news where even just regular homeowners are having trouble getting their houses covered through insurance. And if you can get insurance, it's a lot higher. Like we've seen our pricing going up two to three times that. And then taxes due to the puppy people can contribute this to the big run-up in prices over the last five, six years, finally getting there. And then this is maybe going away to some extent in some markets, but you're seeing the slight softness of the rents earlier on in 2023. Again, this is majorly like a bigger recap of last year. I think what's tough is what I just mentioned was this new issue is like these bad tenants or it's tough because it's almost like a multiplier when you get one of these bad actors in there, because not only does it mean that you got to go turn the unit again, but it's added costs there and extra manpower and headache and just resources taken away from the property management teams at the properties. A lot of these are old news headlines here. A lot of this, I think, has been underneath the surface. You're seeing a lot of debt funds go under. A lot of it hasn't hit mainstream news yet in terms of stock evaluations. And that is, I don't have any stocks, but that's something where I would be a little uncertain. You're seeing it right here. These are the more recent news here in the last month or two on the big players like Blackstone getting into trouble and people saying that we're right now we're in the category five hurricane on some people's accounts. And then this $2.1 trillion in debt is maturing. And I would say that a lot of what has happened can be attributed to interest rates. And with the interest rates coming back, I'm going to be going that into more detail. You could probably make the argument that the real estate has somewhat bottomed out at this point. For people looking at this the right way as I am, there's opportunity coming down the pipeline on this type of stuff. If you're looking for that type of deal, like I think where I differ a little bit, I'm maybe going back to the way I used to invest over a decade ago when I first started, just picking up good little to no value add, lower debt, and just buy and hold and keep chugging along and have my personal finance, me saving money, contributing to just part of the equity and net worth buildup. And that's what you're seeing in the new income fund, if you guys are interested in that check out thewealthelevator.com slash income as a more diversified, more conservative way to play this than waiting for these big home runs to come in. I'm looking at deals, don't get me wrong, but unless the debt packages can come back from 50% leverage to 60, 65% leverage, you just can't make it work, even if you're paying 30, 40% less than what it was a, a little while ago. I don't think you're going to see it... and. Here's how it's all played out, right? This is the pricing, right? You might say, hey, I don't understand these cap rates at all or, or whatnot. Here's the way to simplify it, right? What you're seeing here on the bottom side is the prices. And you're seeing that they'll run up in 2021, 22, and then about the fallback here. And this obviously from a textbook example of a correction, you saw over a 10-year bull run here, and which some people will say, Most market cycles are about six to eight years. So one would say you've got another six to eight years. Who knows, right? I think what we've realized is we live in a somewhat synthetic economy where the government can just print money, almost double, triple the money supply post-pandemic, and then obviously try and rein it back a little bit. To me, it challenges that notion that market cycles last six to eight years. It might even be longer. It might even be shorter. That's where some people believe that El Nino, El Ninas, and like melting of icebergs. Maybe this is just a bad example to use, but what used to be may not be here in the future. What I do know is as of a couple of years ago, things are worth way less. From that perspective, it's a great buying opportunity if you can make the specific deal work. And then shown in another way here, you're seen in the Orange, the cap rates steadily come down from here 2013 to 2000. I would probably argue this was happening even since 2000. So over 10 years of steady growth, right? Cap rates, again, if you go back to that other slide where NOI divided by prevailing cap rates equals the sales price, the the market value. You're seeing this go in the direction that you want. Very similar to investing with the slight trade winds to your back. But this little uptick in the market pretty much gave back if you all the way back to 2000 or maybe in 2018, giving up one, two, three, four years of appreciation. And, you know, that's just how it goes, right? I, I think most people that are in any type of investing understand this general concept of, you know, you take five, eight steps forward, you come back two, three or four, right? And same thing that has happened here. Now, this is something that I, I just wanted to get a snapshot in time, right? I think when you're an investor, there's a lot of inputs and a lot of emotional things and a lot of things that you may key in on that come and go. For example, the fraudulent tenants. It's a thing. Don't get me wrong. Like We're already just ourselves and throughout the industry, there's always measures that are coming into place to correct those types of anomalies, right? As most businesses mature and smooths it out over the long term and gets over it. Just like AI is a big disruption, right? There are photographers out of business right now or artists out of business. It'll smooth out to some extent in the long run. But what are the the economy metrics that I've been tracking? And I think everybody should track as the big four, which is unemployment here on the left side. Right now you're seeing it at a 3.7%. It's a little bit higher than what you've seen over the past year, but relatively still dang low at this point. A very strong indicator of the economy. The next one, GDP. Now GDP growth, it has been up 3.3%. So anything above two to 3% is known as very strong. You can see how it was tracking that quarter three, 2023 was a very strong quarter at 4.9%. And the CPI, the inflation index, obviously we've seen that that was a big reason why if not the the biggest reason why the fed started this onslaught of interest rates was we had almost double digit inflation there for a while and since then and i don't want to give the fed a, a pat on the back because they've caused a lot of damage especially for people in the real estate world the cpi inflation is back down to 3.4% and it seems to be moving even downward from this point on the fed rate 5.3. That's been held steady here for more than half a year now. It's amazing. I would say if you would have asked me a year ago where interest rates would have been, I don't make predictions. I use the metrics that we're going to show here in the next couple of slides. What are the institutional people with skin in the game? What are their predictions are with interest rates? And, I, and all their projections on the forward curves was that we would have already been coming down At this point, the other two things are a little bit more subjective. These are my personal attitudes. And in a way, as people know, I'm not a very emotional person. And when people tell me, how do you feel, Lane? I tend to give a number sometimes because I just maybe don't have a good vocabulary for emotions and stuff like that. But as far as uncertainty, I was very uncertain of things earlier on in the year. And since then, my uncertainty level has come down. Part of this is we've seen stabilization in the interest rates, which obviously impacts a heck of a lot in the economy. But at this point, I think the question is how long are the interest rates are going to be where they are at and at what speed they're going to be going up. And the question of, hey, how much higher is this thing going to go? is pretty much faded in the background at this point. The other thing I always keep my eye on is If I had stocks, equities, where would my comfort level be? To me, I'm just amazed like how that thing is still doing well. I don't understand it at all. Perhaps it's mostly tied to GDP, but when, you know, what we've seen here is interest rates are very tied to commercial real estate, among other things. And. I think that there is a big lagging factor on interest rates. Interest rates are supposed to do damage to the economy, but not right away. There's a big leg effect. So that leg effect is going to take a while for it to then impact the more secondary statistics here, which are unemployment, inflation, and then GDP, I think is maybe on the next shelf over. So what we know what got, we know what got put into the water supply, right? The poison pill got applied. Commercial real estate were the poor deer that was drinking at the water next to there, but the poison is running to the town right here. And what we don't know is the fallout that's going to be happening. Now, as far as interest rates go, this is the CMG FedWatch tool. I just pulled this just now. Now, I the way to read this is what they do is they're like, all right, what are the percentages, the percent chances of the interest rates being in this sort of range? Right now, again, just to remind you, we're at like slightly above five and a quarter, if you read it from the scale. So I pushed forward. It's hard to tell what's going to happen next month or even by May. But if we push it out further, we can have a little bit better scatter chart and certainty. So I pushed it out to the end of this year, 2024, and what they were thinking was at. And obviously that's a big wide distribution, but it looks like it's centering somewhere about a full percent less of where we're at in the 400 to 425 bips level right here. Now, that's just one source. Now, if we fast go to the Chantham financial curve, now what these guys are saying, maybe this is December again, and this is in January. Now, January, they're saying that we're going to be somewhere slightly under that four range. So I think that both of these are somewhat correlating with each other. Maybe Chantham financial might be a little bit aggressive by a quarter point, but hey, these are two very strong data points as far as I'm concerned. These are the cap rate providers that essentially base their multi-billion dollar business off of. And I would rather take their information than what somebody off of YouTube is saying. And I've given up and giving my input on this as I've deferred to these types of guys. One thing that I also keen on is like what that 10-year treasury and that's what this, this blue line is. And long term, none of the narrative that's being put out there is you're not going to see sub 2% interest rates for a while. And the Fed is likely to leave things around the 3% range somewhere in there. But as we all know, that there'll be something that happens in the economy, a war or some other black swan event that. This is strategically, I think, what the Fed wants to do and what they should do is keep the the rates somewhat moderate so that they have dry powder to stimulate the economy should they need to jumpstart things again. But yeah, right now where we're at is doing a lot of damage in terms of banking sector and real estate. Now, here's a common scenario, and I think a bunch of our properties are in this scenario where... You acquired it pre 2020. You might have good debt on it, where you're not worried about your debt renewing in this mark on this down part of the, the cycle. Heck, you, you you might even just sell it right prior to you know the Category Five hurricane coming in 2021, 2022, as you're nearing your three, four, five year business plan. You got caught when the hurricane came. Is the analogy? Now, like I said, you may not be worried about your loan maturity, but it's this situation right here that I spent a few minutes to create for you guys on ChatGPT. But it's this thing, this idea of you're in just a traffic jam. You you, you got all your ducks in a row. You got all the people in the bus here, meaning that you've got your property value add. It's ready to sell you, but you would have sold this thing already. But if it weren't for this traffic jam, nobody's getting off the bus right now. And I would say... Very common situation. And as you can see, there's not only this bus, but there's all these cars and buses. All, we're on all the same situation. And I think investors, they asked us like, Hey, we entered into this deal 2009. It's been like about four years. Why are we not exiting? I'm sorry. Like we're dictated by what the market is at and we're stuck in this traffic jam. And when is the traffic jam going to release? I would say at first the interest rates need to come down at least a, a full percent and this is our best guess nobody really knows again going back to the traffic jam analogy looks like these guys are going to the airport or maybe going to the concert i don't know but they're going to have a good time but they ask when are we going to get there i don't know there's this traffic jam is not moving essentially and you can also take this same analogy and extend this to what the overall capital market stress right now banks are are having a hard time the, the fed has pushed up the rates really impacting how banks make money. And it's tough. Like I, I empathize with everybody out there. And it's very similar to being stuck in an elevator. And I don't know if you guys have ever been stuck in an elevator. I see it on TV all the time. It seems like not a pleasant experience. And especially when the air conditioning goes off. And that's what I've depicted here, right? Everybody's stuck in this elevator together, just like a traffic jam. And until somebody comes and fixes the, the elevator and gets it going again, or maybe at least fixes the air conditioning, it's just really crappy. Everybody's just in a bad mood. And I think to this point, it is nice that you are starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Although interest rates haven't reversed downwards yet, all indications and all of the verbiage that comes from these monthly by monthly meetings from the Fed. Is that they're holding it there and not pushing it upwards. It's the, again, the question is, how long do we have for this to, how quickly will it go down and when? I've got another image I wasn't, didn't have time to put into the presentation today, but I'll definitely put it into a future newsletter that I send out weekly to you guys with a lot of these types of updates. I gotta go dig it up, but it's a cool, just like how you saw that interest rate. Image that I had at the beginning of the presentation, where you had the different interest rate hikes, and you saw the severity and and how quickly it did it. This image had how slowly the interest rate hikes went back down from the peaks. So I think the best thing that we have is history, and to predict what's going to happen in the future, the best thing we we have is to look what's happened in the past. That said, understanding what has happened in the past is no predictor of the future. So that leaves us in start of twenty twenty four. We saw this severe downturn in multifamily, office, pretty much all asset classes for the most part. We definitely did see a little bit harder landing in the multifamily and the office due to the types of debt programs that were out there, whereas self-storage, mobile home parks, where you have that dynamic in those industries is a little bit more of a mom and pop type of owners in it, which also leads to some issues when you're buying from them which is why we haven't really touched that asset class too much. I do like industrial, which is why where people are interested in that, reach out to us. But that's where it's this concept of, if you look at this image on the bottom left, the concept of the soft landing, hard landing, which I think a lot of people are now attuned to. Here's a kind of a screenshot from a great independent news source, ITR Economics, which I urge everybody to go buy their subscription. But right here, all the different asset classes that you're seeing on here, Consumer prices, retail, medical, foreign, non-residential construction. And what's leading the pack is housing and financial. The people that I was talking to that are stuck in that hot, broken elevator. These are the people that have got hit in the nuts really hard. And I'm not saying it, but these guys are saying that it hit the bottom and starting to come back up. And what worries me about what's in the green and the orange are these haven't had their drops yet. And this is where my uncertainty in stocks and that type of more public equities markets would make me feel very uncomfortable. And although there, it appears like a lot of negative headlines in the housing and financial sector, a lot of that is takes a while to come through the news. And we're seeing that now. I think maybe there's only a few people that listen to these types of webinars that haven't been attuned to it. Obviously, I've been talking about this over the last year in these quarterly updates and then on the weekly newsletters. This is the way I see it. Of course, every deal is a little bit different, right? Every specific deal. But you're starting to see this up buying opportunity in if you can find it with good debt or maybe don't use any debt at all within the real estate sector. Here on the right side, this is a more of a publication coming from the very prominent top four real estate brokers. What they're showing here is the sales volume. Obviously, 2023, like I would probably say the transaction volume was a fraction, maybe in less than 20% of what it was the year prior. And you're starting to see that forecast for that volume to start to bottom out and then pick back up. And that is a sign for recovery. And I would say if you're a newer investor, this is, you never know, right? Forward-looking statements. But this is a signal that this is that bottom. This is that 20 of the 2008-2009 catastrophe that we saw a half generation ago for us. This is what I normally will put together every quarter. And I'll say this is unchanged from last quarter. But if you're new to these quarterly updates, review this and I'll change it next time. But a lot of this actually has stayed very much the same. Now, maybe part of this is the Fed kept interest rates exactly the same over the last couple quarters, which is why things are pretty much the same picture here. But I think you look beyond, right, as an investor, you figure out what are things that you have an unfair advantage of, or if you're more of an investor who doesn't have an advantage as an operator, what are things that you want to diversify into and what are the long-term investment thesis And this is where I keep coming back to real estate. Especially workforce housing in emerging markets, something that demand is not going away anytime soon due to population growth. Sure, it may not be exploding, but if you look at places like China where you have a declining population. And what I also say, and, and the reason why we like that workforce housing sector is in the lower middle class is that demographic that's growing as the middle class is shrinking away which is unfortunately a lot of you guys that are listening to this right now, you guys are just like me, working at a strong salary, white collar job. And what you're seeing is unless you start to get off the beaten path in terms of investments and start to employ more of these strategies of the wealthy with taxes. And that's where like the tax pal fund with the section 179 deductions paired with rep status become a really powerful thing. Unless you do that, you're going to be pulled back in the black hole with other middle-class people to the lower middle-class. It's just going to happen like that. And then the other thing here is when do you see rents go down for any long period of time? And, And I was maybe half joking earlier, inflation has come down, but it sure hasn't seen our consumer prices or other expenses going down with that too. I just don't see a big disruptor in this world. Where are you going to put these people? People need a place to live. And when you combine this with the difference between owning a home in 2019 versus 2024, same house, maybe the house is worth slightly less, but because the interest rate is so much higher, their mortgage, their total cost of ownership every month is like almost double than what it was three years ago. And this is where you're starting to see this explosion, the affordability gap between what an apartment rents for at 1,800 now, to what a home payment would be at $3,000, where two, three years ago, that gap was probably, if I'm reading this graph right, under three dollars $400, and has probably 4x that over the past couple of years. And then the percent of households that can afford a medium price home now down to only 25%, where two years ago, that number was around 50%. So if That's not a huge, like alarming thing saying we're becoming a nation of renters and why it makes sense to really fight to despite all odds, despite in higher interest borrowing costs. This is why it's so much of important to get on this side of the equation as the investor, as opposed to just doing it the traditional way. But I'm big on like, what's the action plan here, right? Because I think a lot of podcasts out there and webinars are... Done like this and really just making people feel good that they're learning and growing in terms of their knowledge. But what is the freaking action plan associated with this? I've got six things here. First, don't buy into the fear driven pessimism out there. You got a lot of people that really shouldn't be giving advice, such as Fabio or DJ Polly D from the Jersey Shore on the news talking about inflation. Of course, who really does listen to anything on CNN or Fox these days? You got a lot of sensationalist headlines out there. There are things happening, but remember, news headlines are made to sensationalize and draw attention. A lot of that is negativity, just like a murder on your local newscast. And that's why I say, look at the things that are 10, 20 years trends and try to invest on those types of trends. Diversify your portfolio. Try to plan your investments so that you're diversified over a four to seven year span. Why is that? That allows your investments to value add and grow and get stabilized or like a plant grow roots. But it also, assuming that your normal market cycle is six to eight years from peak to trough, this allows you to bridge that. Next thing, I think the current market filters retail from sophisticated investors. And I think intellectually, we all understand this, that right now there is fear out there, right? There's uncertainty. But as we've seen from the prices, right? And some of you guys do technical analysis on these charts. It's a textbook correction. And this is the point where you get that nice bounce off the bottom, which is why also, I mean, in the right deals, I'm going to be, you know, getting back into the swing of things. Now, I'm, again, I'm not one of these guys that go on from this narrative. I know some syndicators out there that are like, we're going to go after the distress in the market and seize the day. That's not what I'm going to be doing. I think the important thing is to get involved, get in there, but go in there with a little bit of a less aggressive business plan. The market will go up, right? I think we'll get lucky. They tend to go up. But I think at this point, the biggest mistake would be to sit it out, right? Because this is, again, the bounce back period is what I see. really think as an investor, what are things that you understand out there as opposed to frothy PE evaluations of stocks? that are just built off speculation. Look beyond the present, consider future gains, larger value adds, asset buildings, and even development. Because I think what we're seeing here is if you're going in value adding 10, 20% in a value add loan and the market takes 30% away, you're in trouble. And I think this is where the more sophisticated investors, the way they look at it is maybe the majority of their portfolio is in very stable things like triple nets and maybe even t bills or life insurance. And we'll get to the next point here about expanding your infinite banking, your credit investor banking, have it be in life insurance, something very stable. But a very key consistent thing that you see from more sophisticated higher net worth investors is yeah, they're still taking chances, right? But with a prescribed amount of their net worth, whether that's 5% of the net worth or 30% or 50% of your net worth, but they know what that number is. And I would say for most people under a couple million dollars, maybe that number is a quarter of your net worth. You're getting after it. You're going for it. But you're somewhat tethered off with the majority of your portfolio in a safe position from hell or high water. And again, that's where the mistake I see most investors making is they may be investing in real estate projects and other syndications and private placements with a quarter or more of their net worth. But the other part of their net worth is maybe doing nothing. It's doing absolutely nothing. And that's where we say, get a rounded strategy because at the end of the day, it's the sum of all the parts. Sure, you can have a quarter of your money doing great things for you. But if the majority of your net worth, especially when you're under three, $4 million net worth, you have to have all your dollars working for you. And a great way for that to be is in an infinite banking, a credit investor banking situation. If you guys are new to that, check out the the free e-course that we have at thewealth.com slash bank, or shoot us an email. We can run some illustrations for you on that side. But that's the whole point here. Take action, right? Little baby steps along the way. And then also for those of you guys who make over $200,000, $300,000 a year, I think it's a must to really take a look at some of these alternative tax strategies. And that may be as simple as getting a new CPA involved. And this is a quote that I took from another family office guy that kind of saw this as a huge opportunity. And they said, embrace the future as not is when fear is high. For while a 5% treasury bill may seem a comfort today, but is in the decades that you come that you reflect upon this moment. And I say this moment right now in 2024 and see what you started and what you created. If you're somebody who's just sitting on a T-bill or online savings account, that's probably going to be away here in the next year as the interest rates of the Fed kind of bring it back down to earth. And then as the quote suggests, what did you create from that? Right? You guys are checking this out. The New Wealth Elevator book is coming out finally. If you guys read the last book, which I think you could have knocked out in a few hours, this is a lot more beefier book. It has a lot of more actionable instructions, things that I've taken from all the investors that we've have that I just observe. A lot of people like, what are people doing, right? How do they get into this world? 10, 20% of their net worth in the first several years. And then what are they doing for taxes? And then based on where you come in terms of the wealth elevator, that's where I saw out there that there was nothing else written for people over a million dollars net worth. And then what happens when you get to 2 to $4 million net worth? There's different floors of the wealth elevator and as you guys know, I'm an engineer, so I love the charts, right? There's actually a chart in there that kind of shows if you're from this net worth range to this net worth range, you're on this floor, and this is what you should be doing for taxes, investment mindset, infinite banking, etc. If you guys are interested in getting the pre-orders for this, you can go to elevator.com slash book, or just shoot us an email, and we'll get you on that notification list. It would be really helpful if you guys could help us out on this launch helps get the word out. And I would you know greatly appreciate that because it's been a while since we've had a book and the last one was like received. And I think this is the first major book that I've undertaken where the first book I think was real simple, real high level, but this one really gets into kind of the, the nooks and crannies. And I, hopefully it's something that I'm going to expand upon as I think all of us start to grow and get to the higher levels of the wealth elevator. And that's the kind of the whole point behind this whole initiative. Is What's next? What is it that the first generation millionaire, what's the best practices to get to where you want to be? Because a lot of this is uncharted territory. Sure, there's a lot of people that are second, third generation millionaires out there. But what is it that like folks like us who, you know, will be multimillionaires, but the first multimillionaire within our family, what is the processes to follow? But that is a conclusion of this quarterly update. Again, very similar to, I think, last quarter, because maybe that's just probably to do with interest rates remaining the same. Obviously, I, I did make a lot of predictions. So you got to stick this, the flag in the sand somewhere. But hopefully, I've, I've made you aware of some of the reasons why. And of course, here's the forward-looking statement disclaimer. A lot of this is forecasted, projecting, estimated, and the anticipating, believe what's going to be happening in the future. But hopefully this is somewhat insightful for a lot of you guys is at the end of the day, we are all our own investors. We're all our young family office, our own individuals, and we've got to make the best decisions for ourselves based on the right information. But if you're not privy to different ideas out there, you don't interact with a lot of other sophisticated investors. I've seen that mistake a lot of times too, right? People are on that lone wolf type of mentality, but let's say... What we'll probably do this next quarter is a a virtual event where we go through a lot of this stuff from A to Z. And then we'll definitely do a little bit of virtual networking for some of the new people coming in. So be on the lookout there. Join the club, thewealthelevator.com slash club, as I do think the community component of this is very important, as it was for me when I first started to move from the lone wolf, individual, introverted, engineer, investor type, to of this type of more sophisticated, higher net worth investor world. But with that, if you guys like this, subscribe, leave us a review on iTunes, tell your friends about it, just forward the newsletters off to your buddies. And thank you guys for the support.